Over the years, my table has consistently played tabletop RPGs. I've had numerous conversations with them about why we indulge in this medium instead of devoting our ever-dwindling free time into other media like video games, movies, or literature. The answer to this may surprise you, although it really shouldn't because it's the same reason you indulge in it. It's the same reason we all indulge in it. We can interact with the world and have it matter. Of course, that's not what we said when we discussed it. We all had our own views on what interacting with the world really meant and what was important about it. We had all been playing the same games, but we had been interacting with them and enjoying them in different ways. We all had different player types, and from time to time they would clash with each other, and finding balance between our playstyles and expectations was and still is an ongoing process. A process that I might be able to give you some insight into. Hello, my name is Kyle, the Black Magic DM. I give advice for players, dungeon masters, and everyone in between. And today, we'll be talking about the different player types in tabletop RPGs. That means their traits, how to identify them, what to watch out for if you happen to be that player type, and most importantly, how to interact with them as a DM or a player in order to maximize fun and cohesion at your table. These player types vary from video games to tabletop, and they've had many different names throughout the years as people re-explore the subject. The five player types I've set aside and given disproportionately epic titles for are the Champion, the Lore Master, the Diplomat, the Catalyst, and the Strategist. Keep in mind, as we talk about these player types, no one player type is better than the other, and there's no wrong way to enjoy tabletop RPGs, just so long as your fun doesn't ruin the fun of someone else. We'll start with the champion. The champion is one of the simpler player types to understand. They want their characters to be badasses. The game for them is an avenue to play any character you want, so why not play the biggest, baddest dude in the room? They like to kick down the door and handle business as an unflappable hero with a juggernaut of a personality and the mechanical oomph to back it up. You might be a champion if you enjoy any of the above, if your characters tend to have little to no significant flaws, or if failure leaves an especially bad taste in your mouth. When playing with a champion, they'll appreciate it if you let their characters shine. They came to the table to get that nice power fantasy feel where they face impossible odds and come out on top or being the one that had just a thing to get the group through an obstacle. Don't punish them for that. If you have a character that could outperform them in some aspect, then they'll appreciate it if they were in the spotlight for that instance instead. If your villain would normally flatten the champion, then letting them overcome such an obviously powerful foe and still being triumphant would make their day. Remember, this player type isn't limited to just brawny action hero types. Your table's champion might want to be a warrior with the biggest muscles, the detective with the biggest brain, or the rock star with the biggest personality. Whatever it is, they want to be the best at it. To my champion players, some things to remember. Tabletop RPGs are commonly cooperative. That means you probably won't be in the spotlight all the time, and that's okay. Everyone else at the table wants to see their character do cool things just as much as you. Be watchful for times you can let your character shine, but also, look out for ways to prop up your table mates that might not get as much spotlight time. I can guarantee you, they'll be happy to do the same for you in the future. Also, in these games of narrative and dice, there are ups and downs. Sometimes you'll lose. Sometimes your character just won't be cut out for the task at hand. And that might make your entire group fall short of their goal. I'm here to tell you, 
That's okay too. Not every battle can be won on the first try. A tragic defeat now only means your character has an opportunity to get stronger, and you look twice as epic when you finally overcome that obstacle that beat you the first time. Every hero's journey is marked with a downfall at some point. That's what makes them interesting. That's what makes us love those characters. Next, onto our lore master. The lore master is all about the world, interacting with it, learning about it, or if you're in a pre-made setting, experiencing their favorite parts about that world. Their character is a window into that world and how they can explore it and see more of it. You might be a lore master if you have an extensive knowledge of a specific campaign setting and love seeing neat parts of it in gameplay, if you typically play characters that coax a session towards delving deeper into lore by being explicitly interested in lore and exploration, or is connected to a more obscure part of the world that might make the DM and players do their research. You also might be a bit peeved when others at your table don't do their research, or either completely uninterested in the setting, get certain things wrong, or don't seem to care, letting continuity fall by the wayside. You can make a lore master happy by interacting with what they're excited about. If it's a pre-made setting, then delve into a couple obscure tidbits about it and surprise them with some deep lore that they thought they'd never get to bring up at the table. Invest in your world. The lore master sees the world as being just as much of a character as anything else. Put in secrets for them to find in your custom setting. Tie parts of your world together to make it feel real and lived in. Listen to them and pay attention to what they seem most interested in. They're the player that's going to search the most fervently for it. To my lore masters listening out there, remember that everyone might not be as invested in the world as you are. No matter how interested in the lore might be, it's just not everyone's thing. If you want to sew interest in it, or press your table to explore more, then sprinkle in little tidbits occasionally and see what gets someone interested. But never info dump or hound someone about it. Lastly, the setting might be well known by you, but be patient with others at your table if they don't know the setting as well as you, or take liberties with the setting to make things up. That's okay. This could be your table's version of that setting. The Diplomat is similar to the Lore Master, except their focus is on the characters within the world rather than the world itself. It's not uncommon for the Diplomat to enjoy role-playing and narrative more than the other players at the table, or enjoy those aspects more than the other mechanical parts of the game. You might be a Diplomat if you enjoy seeing characters have full, satisfying narrative arcs, or if you prefer role-playing as your method of conflict resolution or, at the most, mechanics and dice should work to enhance the narrative rather than drive it. When playing with a diplomat, key into what narrative story beats they've latched onto. They're most likely going to want to see that initial plot hook blossom into a major narrative point that will eventually be neatly tied up with a satisfying ending. Taking a hard left to make the ending unsatisfying won't do your diplomat any favors. Once they become invested in the plot, they want to see it unfold fully. This means that the diplomat is typically the least invested in things that distract from the plotline they're invested in. They want to see how the story ends and everything else is busy work. For my diplomats, a word of caution. Most tabletop systems use dice for their conflict resolution, and the dice don't play favors. We all need to be open to the eventuality that, like our traitor uncle, the dice will betray us at a crucial moment. The story will continue, just in a different way than we first anticipated it, and that's okay. On to the strategist. The strategist lies in stark contrast to the diplomat. 
Where the mechanics of the tabletop system were an afterthought or a hindrance to the diplomat, they mean the world to the strategist. The strategist lives to tinker with their system of choice and optimize it to suit their needs. When their long hours of number crunching pay off as their plan unfolds perfectly, then you'll see their face light up. They've most likely been called rules lawyers before because the rules matter to them. They matter because for them, the rules are a tool they can use and a map they can follow to get the desired result from the system. You might be a strategist if you spend time outside the game fiddling with mechanics to find combos, if you enjoy the planning phase of a session, or if you dislike when mechanics in the game are hand-waved completely. When playing with a strategist, look out for which parts of the game they're choosing to optimize and see if you can lend a hand. The worst thing you can do to a strategist is hand-waving away mechanics that they've spent time poring over. In a similar vein to when the diplomat is denied chances to roleplay, or the champion is shut down and unable to be the badass they want to be, ignoring mechanics removes the part of the game that the strategist was most interested in interacting with. Treating with the strategist is much like treating with the champion, but instead of wanting to look cool, the strategist wants to see their harebrained Rube Goldberg machine actually work as intended. To all my strategist players listening in, remember that each role-playing game has both game mechanics and role-playing in it. That's what makes it a role-playing game. A healthy mix of both are needed for any successful session, so it's okay if the rule of cool overshadows the numbers every now and again. Lastly, we'll discuss the strategist's other half, the catalyst. The catalyst enjoys things happening and hates boredom. They've seen the table grow silent with inaction and indecision one too many times, and they're ready to take off running into danger at the drop of a hat. For the catalyst, the end result doesn't matter as much, so long as something is happening. Because the catalyst knows deep down that anything happening is better than nothing happening. Madcap adventures are usually a favorite for them because there's always action and intrigue to push the session along. You might be a catalyst if you get bored and disengage during long periods of discussion and pre-planning. If you commonly say, I run in, when the boredom starts to hit. Or if anyone, usually the strategist, has ever given an exasperated sigh after one of your exploits or called you disruptive. The catalyst might seem like a problem player to some and a quarterback player to others. Quarterbacking refers to a player that can take a plot hook and run with it with the zeal of a racehorse careening down a track. A catalyst player becomes easier to understand when you look at it from their perspective. They came to the table to play the game they were promised in the beginning. Rolling dice, punching aliens, and having a grand adventure. Losing interest when the game isn't about that anymore would be natural, and providing an avenue for the rest of the table to get back into it is what they do best. If they get bored, then give them something to do that will help move the group forward as a whole. They can only be a problem player if everyone at the table lets it be a problem for them. And to my Catalyst players, congratulations for listening this far into the episode. I'm really proud of you. Catalysts are my favorite kinds of players as a DM, because every time I look over the screen and see faces paralyzed with indecision and pencils tapping on character sheets just waiting for someone to make a decision, it kills me a little bit on the inside. But I can always count the catalyst to not let that state persist too long. However, my catalyst, we must remember when that energy needs to be used. Read the table. If the table looks like they're having fun faffing around, then that's okay. 
give them another five minutes before you course correct. Sometimes the slow parts in the session help to accentuate the high energy parts we all came for. Alright, that's everything on the five player types and how to interact with them for the day. Remember to join me next week when I cover the DM types and how to interact with them. It's important to know that very few players only fit into one category. Most will fit into two or three, with one type being at the four. Again, the key is to treat the others at your table with respect and understanding. Be honest about how you enjoy the game and what you want out of it. Be empathetic to your table mates and how they like to play. Their way of having fun isn't wrong, it's just different. That's a lesson everyone can take beyond just the gaming table. To all of our listeners at home, if you have any subjects you want discussed on the show, you can send a message to our Twitter page at blackmagicdm1, or you can email us at blackmagicdungeonmaster at gmail.com. Be sure to look out for new episodes every Tuesday on popular podcasting websites like Anchor and Spotify. And until then, thank you for listening.